stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, much has been made, and deservedly so, uh, concerning this Toronto police constable whose response to the uh, Toronto attack and the attacker behind the wheel of this van was about as good as could be expected. There's so many ways where that could have gone differently, so many ways where it could have gone sideways, so many ways where that suspect would have ended up lying dead on the ground, pumped full of lead. And frankly, given the the horrors of what happened that day and the 10 people murdered, not a lot of tears would have been shed for that guy had he been shot dead. And given the circumstances, I think maybe we might have understood the officer opening fire. Here he is by himself at that moment, confronting the individual who just ran over two dozen people. And maybe is looking to continue his, his carnage, claims to have a gun in his hand, points that object that he's holding at the officer, ignoring commands to drop it and get down on the ground. I think at that point, you got all the boxes checked there. A suspect claiming to have a gun and an individual pointing that object at the officer, the individual ignoring commands. Uh, At that point, you're asking to be shot. But here's the thing, he was asking to be shot. I think a combination of factors here. The fact that it didn't appear to be a gun. The fact that it seemed as though the individual was looking for suicide by cop. That that convinced the officer that he didn't need to shoot. And so he was able to take the suspect down without a shot being fired. And I think ideally that's the outcome in any, any situation where a police officer is confronting a suspect. I mean, shootings should be a last resort. You contrast the, the cool, calm, collective response by that officer in Toronto, given what he was dealing with. Contrast that with what happened with Anthony Heffernan, who was shot dead by a police officer in a Calgary hotel room. And what a quick and overreaction that was. This was not an individual even holding a weapon, threatening the officers at all. Think how quickly, from the time the officers entered that hotel room to the time shots were fired, other officers in the room who didn't draw their weapons at all. It is quite a contrast. And so I think that also speaks to the other end of the spectrum here, where we've got officers who have responded inappropriately so with lethal force. So I wanted to explore some of those issues and how we're training police officers to deal with these situations and you know, whether what happened in Toronto is, is a bit of a lesson on the front. So joining us for some thoughts, very pleased to welcome to the program, Glenn Hanna, uh, spent some three decades with the RCMP, is now Assistant Program Head of Justice Studies at the University of Guelph-Humber, uh, had a piece at theconversation.com, which has been uh, reposted at globalnews.ca about all of this. Uh, Glenn, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Oh, my pleasure. Well, first of all, let's talk about this incident in particular, because it, it could have gone so differently. And what's your sense, your own impression of, of how this officer handled things? I think he did it professionally. He did it competently. And he did it in the way that we expect our police to operate and we should expect our police to uh, to operate. You know, given what he was dealing with, realizing that this was somebody or likely somebody who had just mowed down a bunch of pedestrians, somebody who maybe was intent on continuing his his rampage once he was out of the vehicle. I I don't think a lot of people would have judged him harshly had he shot this individual, especially given that the guy's claiming that he's got a gun. He's pointing something at the officer. I mean, there, there seem to be so many reasons there for him to pull the trigger. 
Well, there is, but you know, you have to understand that police will not shoot somebody or use deadly force for uh, the crime they are alleged to have committed, but rather uh, based on the threat that is posed at the time. So if you look at the videos, you'll see in the initial incidents, the constable is down in a shooting crouch. Uh, he is using the engine block of his vehicle for cover. He's challenging the suspect. But this, this suspect had absolutely everything going for him in order to survive uh, the interaction with the police officer. Obviously professional, obviously well-trained. Um, it was broad daylight. The, uh, the officer did have uh, cover. The light was behind the officer, so it wasn't shining in his eyes. And you can almost see in the video the instant he realizes this person doesn't have a weapon. This person is trying to goad me into shooting them. And when that realization happens, then then he starts to de-escalate. He turns off the siren. This was the first big clue watching the video that he's de-escalating. This now lets you communicate with the suspect without that siren blaring. It also shows the fact that his training is working because it is very, very easy to get tunnel vision when you're presented with a, with a threat, mm -hmm. and also tunnel hearing. I've been in that same position with a police siren blaring beside me, and I didn't notice it because I was completely concentrating on the suspect. He was able to sort of get his head out of that, turn off the siren, and then you watch him now coming out because he realizes it's not a weapon, and right. engage the, the suspect in the conversation. Then you watch him put his pistol away. Now, this is critical because a pistol... If you are deciding you're not going to use it, it is now actually a liability. It occupies one of your hands. If you're not going to do, pull the trigger, what good is it doing you? So put it away, you go to one of your other more suitable use of force options. And in this case, it was his baton. And I found it almost humorous that the suspect was saying, shoot me, shoot me, shoot me in the head. But the instant the pistol went away and the, the big stick came out, it was, oh, I don't want to get hurt. And he, and he complied immediately. Uh, it was almost comical to uh, to, to watch that uh, that reaction. Shoot me, but don't hit me. Yeah, yeah. He, he surrendered very quickly once he came out yeah, with the absolutely. club. You're right. Um, and what's also noteworthy to me is that the, the officer was able to keep the suspect's focus on him. Uh, and, and it could have dramatically changed the situation. I mean, at one point in the video, there, there's two or three pedestrians who are walking uh, almost right nearby the van, wondering what the heck is going on. You know, if the suspect suddenly turns his attention on, on these pedestrians, it figures that's a way to escalate the situation, or maybe a way to, to if he wants to be shot, to, to be shot. That, that could have really changed the situation. Well, I saw those people walk behind and sort of look over their shoulder and look what's happening. And they weren't running. Uh, they didn't appear scared or nervous. And I'm thinking, oh, man, like, get out of the way. Yeah. But the officer you watch walked in the opposite direction from the civilians, taking the, the, the gaze of the accused in his direction and away from the people in behind. So this was very heads up. Uh, uh, thing for uh, for him uh, to do. I mean, I know the officer now is saying this wasn't heroic. Uh, you know, he doesn't want to be treated as a hero, but he is doing what we expect our police officers to do, what they are trained to do. But there was a heroic part of this. He did put himself uh, out there behind cover, not knowing what the situation was. Was this a terrorist attack? Wasn't it? Was the van full of explosives? Uh, you know, did the person have uh, an explosive vest on? These are things I'm sure were going through his mind, but he made the, uh, the, the, the decision, you know, based on his own risk assessment that this is the way I'm going to handle this. And, um, and it, it ended up, it was a very good call. 
Well, you know, there, there's the whole concept of uh, suicide by cop where, and, and maybe that's what this guy was trying to do, where rather than, than pull the trigger on yourself, you force somebody else to do it. You force somebody else's hand, to, and in this case, a, a police officer. How are police officers trained to deal with that kind of situation? Because you don't want to shoot somebody who's doing it for that reason. But if they're prepared to escalate to a point where the officer has no choice, I mean, what, what else can you do? Well, this is the thing. Motive doesn't play into it. If the person is after the police officer to kill them and they have a weapon and they have the ability to carry out that threat, it actually does happen. You know, suspects have killed police officers and other people in order to draw fire on themselves. So you cannot get inside the head of, of your suspect. You have to look at the threat posed and your own risk assessment. So just because you say, ah, this is an attempt at suicide by, by cop, you don't then put your pistol away and say, let's talk about it. Uh, you may end up dead. So what you do is you look at the threat that is posed. You think this is an attempt at suicide by cop, if that's your, your evaluation, but still look at the risk. In this case, everything was going good for the suspect to survive. Broad daylight, he was uh, in behind, um, or sorry, in, in front of a white uh, vehicle, probably provided a very good silhouette, and I think the officer could see what was in his hands. And this is what led him then to step out. Suicide by cop, but there's a pistol in your hand. Sorry, I'm staying undercover. And uh, if myself or others are threatened uh, by death or grievous bodily harm, uh, then things escalate uh, rapidly. Right. And, and what the suspect is holding, I mean, that, that becomes a key question. Because if there is uncertainty, I mean, I mean, officers can't guess. Officers can't assume. If they don't know, are they to assume that it is a gun? It, it depends on the risk assessment that is that is done by the officer. What are the circumstances? What is how is the suspect standing? What is the suspect saying? Um, um, do I have cover? Can I reposition? So there's a whole range of things that that go through the uh, the officer's mind, and and no, an assumption that it's a weapon. Uh, uh, may not be enough. I was in that uh, situation myself. I had somebody uh, in the sights of, of my weapon, and I truly thought I was going to pull the trigger and shoot this person, but my training kicked in, and it was, where's the weapon? Where's the weapon? I could hear the threatening. I couldn't see the weapon, and I held off for a microsecond, and the person turned, and there was no weapon, and he was taken into custody, uh, uh, and he was unarmed. Uh-huh. And so I could have, at the time I was pointing my weapon at him, I was fully convinced I was going to have to pull the trigger. But it just hadn't got to that stage yet. And this is what police officers go through, that sort of microsecond decision-making. Dark alley, poor lighting, had a foot chase first, the adrenaline is going, you know, almost out of uh, breath, close in to the, the suspect where you don't have a little bit of distance to be able to uh, take cover, things could have changed very, very dramatically in this situation. Yeah, no kidding. Now, police do have to make these split-second decisions, but, I mean, at the same time, we, we can and do hold them accountable for those choices. I mean, the Sammy Yatim case in, in Toronto, of course, uh, prompted a lot of change in the use of uh, lethal force guidelines. We've had uh, cases out, out here, similar questions raised. So that's the other end of the spectrum, right, where, where police fire when perhaps they shouldn't have. Are, are we getting better in in addressing that I think the conversation is uh, is there now at addressing it um, 
Uh, and uh, it's based on a lot of things. Uh, it's based on uh, 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 the conversations are driven very much by uh, smartphone cameras uh, and by social media, which, which permit an almost instantaneous uh, review of the actions of, of officers. There is a societal change afoot on what we, uh, what we expect in the, in the way of use of force uh, by our police officers. And I think, you know, in my early days in policing, it was either my revolver or my hands. Right. You know, there was no, there's nothing in between. We've gradually outfitted police officers with a wide range of use of force options. I think there has been a reluctance on the part of police officers throughout North America to, to go hand-to-hand. Uh, but resort to use of force, uh, other use of force options. And they were really intended to reduce injury on both sides, but that hasn't always been been, uh, the case. So I think we're on the cusp of changes in societal expectations of our police. And because of that, police are engaging in much more uh, training, much more scenario-based training, much more articulation. The last time I went through, and that has been a few years ago, uh, with the RCMP, um, uh, my use of force uh, training, it was very much, here's the simulation, you, you, you do it, you make your decision, and then it was, what was going through your mind? Well, I feared for death or grievous bodily. No, no, no. What were you thinking? Well, I saw the look on the suspect's face. I saw the weapon. I was close in quarters. I had no room to back up. I couldn't get through a door. I drew my pistol and I fired the shot in simulation. Uh, so it is getting the police officer to think along those, those, those lines. Why this use of force? Why now? Yeah, those are important questions. Uh, we'll leave it there for now, Glenn. People can read your piece. It's up at theconversation.com. Also, we post it at globalnews.ca. Thanks so much for your insight on this. and really appreciate you making some time for us here. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.